Eden is the epicenter of the day of rest. Again, you can go online at countertrinity.com and look at last week's message. Eden is literally like the very center place of the day of rest. And what we mean and taught on as we looked at Eden in the creation narrative is that uh, Eden is the place where everything works as it ought to. It's the perfect place where the grand machine is on and working as it should. And it's very clear, we looked at this or last week, that this is not our world today. The reality is something broke. So today we're going to look at what it is that broke. What is it that broke? Today we examine the fall of humanity, the fall of humanity. When I was uh, 16, I had literally just got my driver's license and, uh, and I, I grew up in a smaller community than Indianapolis, for sure. And, uh, and so I, I spent a lot of time riding motorcycles as a kid, kind of had a little bit of a country boy life, uh, hunting and fishing um, out in the woods. So I had already been driving on and off a little bit, but I finally officially got my license at 16 years old. And it, it was awesome. It was like freedom, finally free, finally, finally free. And um, I remember my parents were out of town, and they had a friend of theirs stay with us. And at one point, I was going to head out and go hang out with my friends. So I hopped in my parents' car, and I opened the garage door. I put the car in reverse, and I spent the time preparing to drive like any 16-year-old does. You know, find the right radio station, get the right music on. Not as much time looking around me at my surroundings and more time making sure that, you know, it was cool. Good music, good so I put the car in reverse, got the music blaring, I'm ready to go, it's going to be awesome, I'm going to go hang out with my friends, 16 years old, I, I hit the gas, I probably backed out of the garage a little too fast, and I pulled out, kind of angled backwards, as I came out, we had a large driveway, and so I pulled out, angled backwards, and as I did it, I felt this thump, and your heart drops, you know, it's like that feeling you get when you're cruising at 85 down the highway, and you pass a highway patrolman, and you're like, oh, you know, that feeling that you get, so my heart dropped, I thought, oh no, and I got out of the car at 16 years old, I went over, and I looked, and sure enough, in the side panel of my dad's friend's car was a huge dent, now I noticed on my parents' car, the way it hit it, there was no mark, Oh, the internal dialogue that takes place. So I remember standing there and I was looking at that car and I knew my parents were out of town and they did this like whole talk about can we trust you guys and, and uh, you know, my fan, the friend of my family was standing there and I, I, so in my mind I'm like, well, he's probably insured and, and I don't want him to feel like he's doing a bad job and, and, and I know that my parents are gone and they're worried about us anyways and I really am a responsible guy and in that moment you just have all this internal dialogue taking place in your brain. Now, I don't remember all the routes I took, you know, maybe it was more like a maze. But I landed on the place where I really truly believed the best thing to do was to not say anything. In fact, maybe the way that I would say it is, I remember choosing the prime tool the enemy uses to get us as Christians to continue living in sin. Let me say that again. I remember choosing the prime tool the enemy uses to get us to continue Living in sin, which this is often, this is true for most of us, right? Procrastinate doing what is. I'm just going to keep putting it off. 
And so I didn't say anything in the moment because I really wanted to go with be my friends. And, and I kind of justified. I was like, well, I'll, I'll deal with this in a couple of days. I'll confess to it. And a couple of days go by, and then it doesn't feel quite right. So you wait a little longer, you wait a little longer, you wait a little longer. And eventually you just stop thinking about it. Awesome. I'm just going to keep putting off doing what's right. And, and the truth is, everyone in this room, right, like in this room physically or if you're watching online, everyone in this room will be brought to a place where you will look at two paths or maybe the way to say it would be two trees, like in the Genesis account. One tree produces the fruit of God's wisdom. The other tree is the fruit of, well, let's go, let's try that again. It's the fruit of man's wisdom. And the prime question that all of us are going to be brought to at some point, at some point, over and over, I say at some point, it'll happen over and over and over again, is uh, what will you trust as good for you and as good for the world you live in? What will you trust? With this in mind, let's go to Genesis 3, 1 through 7. Now, we're actually going to read a lot of the Genesis 3 account. Uh, If you're using the Bible that's in the chair with you, it's in page or on page 3. So Genesis 3, on page 3. Um, And I'm going to read through large portions of Genesis 3 today. We're going to read it kind of a chunk at a time and then talk about it. Now, the serpent was more crafty. Just that word is interesting, is more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did you actually, did God actually say, did God actually say, you shall not eat of the fruit in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the tree in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Isn't it amazing how the enemy is so good at just taking truth, but just slightly twisting it? So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food... And that it was a delight to her eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and what's the first thing that their knowledge reveals? That they were? They're naked. Interesting. Their knowledge first turns inward. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Now, I got to be honest as we kind of take this apart. There is so much in the fall, even in the Edenic story, right? In the fall, there's so much here. A lot of it had to hit the cutting floor. But I want to point out a few things as we walk through this. Eden had two trees of significance. In fact, I even thought about calling this sermon a tale of two trees. Eden had two trees of significance among all the vegetation for food. The first tree was basically consuming or taking the will of God. So the tree of life is saying, I trust God. I'm going to trust his direction, his will, his commands. That's the first tree. The second was the act of taking into your own hands the definition of what is right and good. 
or the second tree, so the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I'm going to take into my own hands what I believe to be right and good, or I'm going to trust in the Lord, right? That's basically the two trees. Now, the interesting thing in this is it really didn't have to be a tree. It's literally the decision to say, I'm going to trust in God's wisdom, or I'm going to trust in man's wisdom. Knowing, this whole idea of knowing, knowing good and evil is not necessarily a knowing about. This is very true a lot in the Hebrew language, but knowing is an experiential knowledge. So knowing good and evil is not a knowing about, but walking in or consuming. So you have to remember, before Eden even fell, they knew the tree was bad, but they hadn't walked in it. They hadn't consumed it. They hadn't made the decision to do it. And so when the scripture talks about this idea of knowing good and evil, it does include this idea of actually making the decision to walk in it. I'm going to choose man's wisdom over God's wisdom. And then the question I just want us to consider before we keep reading it would be this. How many things do we look at and think God's word is ridiculous here? Our modern world and how the Bible talks about sex and sexuality. Our modern world and how it thinks about how we use money. Our modern world and what the purpose of marriage, family, like over and over and over again, how many things do we look at and think, God's word is antiquated, it's old-fashioned, it's just ridiculous here. And then in our own minds and in our own hearts, we make this decision. I need to do what is right in my own Let's keep reading Genesis 3, 8 through 13. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Now, God knows, I'm just I'm going to say this out loud. Assuming you know this, but I'm going to say it out loud just in case. God knows where Adam is. But God knows Adam needs to want to be in the presence of God. And Adam finally speaks up and says, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Now notice God's response. Who told you that you were naked? Who shifted your focus into me? And where I'm at, what's happening to me and what. Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Again, God knows this, but he knows that he needs Adam to step into the light, even of confession. And what's Adam's response? He doesn't say, I'm guilty. It was my fault. He says, the woman that you gave me to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. A couple things before we keep reading. After the fall, we find Adam and Eve naked and hiding. This is actually huge in the Hebrew account here, right? The enemy wants to use our shame and embarrassment as a weapon to keep you hiding from the presence of God. Like, this is where the enemy wants you. He wants you choosing to resist moving into the presence of God. 
Notice that Eve blames the serpent and Adam blames Eve and he even in a sense blames God. The woman whom you gave to be with me. Now, kind of an interesting side note here. There's so much that had to hit the cutting floor. I'll I'll toss this in. Um, If you read through some of the kind of more uh, traditional old school, uh, as uh, some of the commentators as they work through the Genesis account, uh, they talk about how, and again, this is just interesting to think about, Eve had to be deceived. But the reason it feels like Adam is in so much trouble, Eve had to be deceived, Adam just ate it. Right? So I was telling my wife, it's interesting how some people think that Adam might have carried the greater weight because he wasn't tricked. He just did it. And, and my wife was like, well, well, of course he did. I mean, that Eve, naked Eve, is like, here, take and eat this. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah whatever you say. Honest confession, no matter how we cut it, honest confession, owning the moral truth. So not only stepping into the light of the presence of God physically, but even stepping into the light of the presence of God morally, like being honest about who we are. Honest confession, owning moral truth is a weapon against the enemy. The enemy wants you in hiding from the presence of God, and the enemy wants you justifying away or even hiding your bad decisions, blaming somebody else. Listen, do we not live in a modern world where nothing is your fault. It's your parents' fault. It's the culture's fault. It's the community's fault. It's the news's fault. It's everybody else's fault. Listen, living in a state where you're separating yourself from God, but then even not owning up to the moral depravity, the decisions that you made, you can't. You can't heal unless you step into the presence of God, and you can't heal unless you're honest about the position of your heart before God. Right? The, the lie is that you will be rejected. Or is that, the lie is that you will be fully known or when you're fully known, that the evil is in us too, right? The poison has been in us too. The lie is that you will be fully known and rejected, right? That's what the enemy wants you to believe. The more you're known, the more you'll be rejected. The truth is that you are fully known and God still chooses you. Don't run and hide from God. John 3, 16, Romans 5, 8, I could go on and on. Stepping into the light, literally being in the presence of God, but then also stepping into the light about ownership, confession of what's really in us. Genesis three fourteen through 23, as we continue to work through the text. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. The woman said, I will surely, or to the woman, God, to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. We're going to come back to that word there. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband's, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall Eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, and for 
You are dust, and to dust you shall return. I'm going to invite Josh up. I'm going to pull some of these ideas together here in a few minutes. With the fall, our nature became sinful, and four separations happened. Our nature became sinful, and four separations happened. Number one, people became hostile to one another. Literally, Adam began to blame Eve. Eve blames the serpent. Adam even, in a sense, blames God. Now, an important thing to note from this, the word childbearing, when he says, when God says to the woman, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing, the Hebrew there is the word haron, which actually doesn't mean labor. It means getting pregnant. And what's interesting in this is, because there is a very specific word that means being in labor, the actual pains of having the baby, and that word is not used here. It's a general word that's used here for the process of coming together with somebody, building a relationship, and getting pregnant. It's the broader word that's used in this text. This is no accident. Literally, what's going to happen as your knowledge of good and evil and your obsession becomes more inward focused, I'm naked, I need to fix me, where am I at? My thoughts, my struggles, my wants. As all of this turns more inward, literally Lewis says pride is what makes the devil the devil. As this turns more inward, is it not true that the process of intimacy, not even sex, just deep connection with other people, is it not true that the process of intimacy is really hard let alone intimacy to its fullest coming together, which is getting pregnant and having a baby. That is its fullest, and the text even points that out, the fullest culmination of this. But the enmity, right, the difficulty, the struggle, not just between Eve and the serpent, but even Adam and Eve with each other. Listen, everybody that's sitting out there or watching online, if you've ever thought, man, relationships are really difficult. I just feel like we don't connect like I wish we could. Or you have ever thought, man, I, I would love, and I just talking with a, a young lady here recently, uh, a part of our congregation, she just offhanded made a statement. She's like, I just find it so hard to have good friendships. You're right. You're right. The process of intimacy is really messed up. And pride and inward focus. I mean, what we let into this world makes all intimacy unbelievably difficult. You're right. The four separations, the second separation, so people become hostile to one another. Literally, the process of intimacy becomes difficult because of sin in our life. Number two, the second thing of the four separations, people become hostile to nature. Nature became cursed, a source of labor, right, for him or for Adam. 
So what do we find? We find that the introduction of sin. So you have the two trees, God's wisdom and man's wisdom. I'm going to take into my own hands, man's wisdom, the knowledge of what is right and good. I'm going to decide. Me, my heart is now king. The, the, the main thing that happens in the fall account is Adam and Eve decide, me be me. I do me, right? Like, you know, that's the phrase, you do you, you be your, that is the very center of what makes intimacy difficult. They were aware that they were naked, that inward focus, me, what I want, my desires are now king. It is the very center of what causes when you go to work and it's like nothing works and it feels like you're always competing against other people and you just can't get ahead and nothing comes together right, that is the introduction of sin from relationships to your work. Everything breaks. And it's hard labor. Is a good marriage not hard labor? Is success at work not a hard labor? Is keeping and maintaining good lifelong friendships at times even a labor? The third separation that takes place. So the first one, people became hostile to one another. The second one, the land, literally our work, is difficult. The third one, people become hostile to themselves. Adam felt shame and hid from God. Instead of stepping into the light and dealing with the poison that's actually in us, Lord, I'm not going to hide from you. I'm going to step into your light. I'm going to be honest that I have sinned. I'm not blaming Eve. I'm not blaming the snake. I'm blaming, they, they all played into it. I'm not saying they're totally innocent, but I am saying I made the decision. My pride, my heart, my work, I chose to pluck from the knowledge of good and evil. I take it into my own hands. I did it. The greatest hostility that you can put on yourself is to literally keep running from God. And the longer you run from God and the longer you run from confession and the longer you run from truth, it just grows ever darker, ever more inward, ever blaming others, ever more bitter, ever more frustrated, ever more difficult. And then the fourth one, which is the natural culmination of the others, people became hostile to God. When God asked Adam, him, what had happened, Adam blamed God saying, the woman you gave me did it. And then we see as the text kind of culminates this really awful spot, right? Like our physical death not allowing us to take from the tree that will keep us alive for everything operating as it should. Our physical death is a painful protector against the death as a cosmic poison. Let me see if I can explain this. Knowing the effect of sin in our lives, how 
awful would it be to have that last for forever? What if Hitler never died? What if what's off in you never came to an end? Knowing the effect of sin in our lives, how awful would it be to have that last for forever? And so what we find is we find God walking through the garden. Another little side note, go back. There's so many things I had to cut out for today just for the sake of time. Notice all the plural language that's used in the Genesis account. So like when God walks through the garden, he'll say things like, let us We have to. So when God walks through the garden, he's walking through it with others. And what you find is God looks at this mess that we brought in. We brought this in. Our decision, your decision, even the decisions you make today when you have God's wisdom and man's wisdom and you choose to take into your own heart man's wisdom, my wisdom over God's. The darkness that you let in, man, death is a curse, but it's also a limiter on all of this that's broken. Now, ultimately, what's going to happen is God is going to redeem even even that through the cross. I love the way, I I don't want to, you know, kind of leave you in all this this darkness, um, because there you go. That's where the world is today. Have a great week. No, I... I want to circle back around, and I do want to take you to the Jesus Storybook Bible, the kids' Bible that we've also been using um, as we study the Bible through the whole church. So the the children are using the Jesus Storybook Bible, and I love it. On page 36, Sally Lloyd-Jones kind of ends this dark story of the fall of humanity with this. You see, no matter what, in spite of everything, God would love his children with a never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always-and-forever love. And though they would forget him and run from him, deep in their hearts, God's children would miss him always and long for him, lost children yearning for their home. Before they left the garden, God whispered a promise to Adam and Eve, it will not always be so. I will come to rescue you. And when I do, I'm going to do battle against the snake. I'll get rid of the sin and the dark and the sadness that you let in here. I'm coming back for you. And he would. One day, God himself would come. So I was in my early 20s. I was sitting in my office as a young youth pastor. It was about seven, eight years after I bumped into that guy's car. And I was sitting there in my office just doing my devotions and my mind randomly went to that event all those years ago. And I was like, oh, that's right. I ran into that guy's car and I never did anything about it. And the ironic thing is I was waiting, all those years, the enemy had me convinced that I had to wait for the right time to do the right thing. And in a sense, the right time to do the right thing will never come. And in a sense, the right time to do the right thing is always here. Do you see it? It's also always here. 
the right time to do the right thing is, is always here. And so I, I, I actually, I, I laughed to myself when I thought about it. And so I called my dad and I was like, Dad, okay, um, I need the phone number of the gentleman who was staying with us. I was 16 years old. Do you remember this at all? And dad, dad he didn't know about the car thing. But, uh, but he did know, of course, who it was that stayed with us. And so, uh, and I knew him too, but I didn't have his number. So dad got me his number and I hung up the phone and I sat in my office. I remember this is back when you like picked it up and the, the phones were corded. Good old days. And um, I picked up the phone and I started to put in the number. See, I put in the number like this. I didn't do this. You real old people did this. And I, I put in the number. And I remember thinking, how am I going to explain this to this guy? And so he picked up the phone, and uh, I called him by name, and I was like, hey, you know, it's, it's Mike Kolov, Joe's son. This is crazy. It's probably, you, you probably don't even own this car anymore. And he starts laughing on the phone. As soon, I didn't even get to the whole explanation. And I was like, you were staying with us, and I, I backed out at one point, and I, I ran into your car, and I left a dent in it. And, uh, and I, I pulled off, and I am so sorry. I don't know what I was thinking. I just, I'd somehow justified in my mind that it was never the right time to confess up to it or to own up to it. And let me pay you back. I, I mean, it just even guesstimate, whatever it is. If it's a thousand bucks, whatever you think it would cost, you don't even probably own the car, but I would love to pay you back. And uh, he starts laughing on the phone, and he's like, I knew it was you the whole time. I didn't, I didn't think how, he's like, I didn't think it would take this long for you to confess it. <laughs> you know, when we own up to the, the darkness that we participate in, it, it won't always go that well. It just, it just won't. There are times when you'll own up to the darkness and it feels like it's just making things worse. That's, that's what will happen sometimes. But I want you to know, to the person in whom your right actions matter most, his arms will always be open. To the point where they'll be stretched out, beaten to a pulp, naked, literally in the process of being tortured to death. And the very people who put in play all the things that made that happen, he will still say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. To the person in whom you owning up, stepping into the light and confessing, to the person in whom it matters most. Well, I like the way we've, read the adult Bible, I like, and the kids' Bible, I like the way she sums it up. God loves his children with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. 
I'd love it if you would uh, take the next steps card there in the back of the chair in front of you on this cold, snowy Sunday morning. Grab that next steps card and pull it out. Pull it out, pull it out, pull it out. Get the next steps card out. I just want to ask uh, two, two questions, two questions. The first question is this, right? A tale of two trees. Man's wisdom, God's wisdom. Trust in myself. You be you. I'll be me. Right? I'm going to take into my own hands. I'm the decider of what is right and good for me and for humanity. A tale of two trees or God's wisdom. A tale of two trees. Is there a place where you have been trusting or consuming man's wisdom in place of God's? Is there a place in your own heart, in your own life? And I'm just going to let the Spirit do what only the Spirit can do. And even if you're watching online, I just want you to really think about this. Is there a spot in your life where you have been trusting in man's wisdom and you know you've been setting aside God's wisdom? And then the next question here is just something I'd love for you to maybe write about, think about. What do you need to, and that's supposed to say stop. What do you need to stop hiding from God and step into his presence and confess? I'm just going to let the Spirit do what only the Spirit can do. I don't, I'm not even going to call out any examples. Just in your own heart and in your own mind, before the Lord, is there something that you need to stop hiding from God? He already knows. And you need to step into his presence and own it and confess it. Take some time. Just pour your heart out to the Lord on the Next Steps card. If you need to make a decision to follow him, mark that on there. If you need to be baptized, mark it on the card. Um, if you need to give your life over to the Lord, do that. Rededicate your life. Um, whatever God is doing in your heart, if you just need to pray, just take some time before God and, and, and reflect. Lord, I love you. I thank you for the people here. In your sweet, wonderful way, literally, you knew they had fallen, and instead of wrecking the earth and blowing it all up, and you came and you walked gently through the garden and you called to him, Adam. And I pray even in this moment that you would gently call into us, call us into the light, and let us respond rightly. Not blaming others, not setting it aside, but owning up to it ourselves. Take some time and just let the Spirit speak to you as you reflect. I love you. I love that I get to be your pastor. And I love old school Bible study. Thanks for listening to Sunday Sermon on the Made for More podcast. 
If you are not connected in a church community, we would love to connect with you. Send us a message on social media or fill out a digital next steps card at encountertrinity.com slash next steps.